ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? Tucker sends one to right field. Back goes Santan there. All the way back and gone. He did it. He did it. A grand slam in the ninth. What an event by Kyle Tucker. King Tuck is now invading by sea. Wow. He said King Tuck's now in. He's, what did he say? Invading my. I thought he said C. Like S E A C? C or Invading C my C? I don't know what Blummer said there. What did he say? What an event by Kyle Tucker! King Tuck is now invading my C. I think he said C. I think King Tuck invading, invading my C. C. Did yeah. the original King Tuck maybe go to war and win by, by land? C? Or one by Very land, possible. and now maybe you I think win that, by sea. That's, that's got to be it. Two if by sea is that the? It's, there's got to be some war has, with yeah. the original King Tucker, where he won a battle because of their naval prowess. Is it better than Ma the Meatloaf? I don't know. Maybe Blummer's getting a little too comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I love Blummer, but come on. Maybe a little. I, to be honest with you, that's the first time I heard that call. First time I heard the. It's, you know what? AT and T Sports West Sports. I, Southwest. As much as I love Brian Anderson, I, I think that's a better call. So I um I listened I, wa- I watched the TBS broadcast. I forgot it was on TBS for a while. So I watched like the first 5 innings on uh, AT&T then I had to put Brandon baby to bed. So I paused the TBS broadcast and watched the last 4 innings on TBS. So that's the first time that I've heard that. Uh E says he said invading his seed. Queen said that I heard seed. I just I I I don't get it. I don't understand what invading my seed would mean. I don't there has like you said Somewhere in the lores of history and or kings or other things, there has to be something that he's referring to. What does invading my seed mean? I don't know. I think there's got to be something. I think you're on the path of it. It's got to be something. Because the, I, knew, I know that there is an old school back in the history, one if by land, two if by sea. Yeah, I remember that phrase, too. Yeah, so maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. Todd says invading by sea since Baltimore's on the water. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't expect to talk about this for the first three minutes. Can we talk about Felix Bautista's uh, intro? That intro is the best intro I've ever seen from a closer. I I didn't catch it. You didn't catch it? Was were you watching TBS? No. Oh, I was watching AT and T. Oh, I was watching TBS. Felix Bautista comes in because it's they play. They're the Baltimore Orioles, right? Okay. So they, you know, Are where they? the movie, yeah. you know, where the not the movie, you know, where the show, The Wire's from. The show, The Wire. Yes, I know the show. The so Wire. the beginning of his entrance song is Omar's whistle from The Wire, where he's like, "I can't do, I can't do it justice." But he, that's the beginning of his song, and then it transitions to the uh, I forget forget the name of the exact song, but it comes out to Omar's whistle, which is so good, so good. Anyways, the Astros win yesterday. Uh, Kyle Tucker hit that grand slam to give the Astros the go ahead run. Uh, Ryan Presley, good to see Ryan Presley look good. He looks healthy, he doesn't look sore. So any Threw sort of fear there, they had to. any sort of fear there is alleviated. You're saying they got yeah. a call? Uh, I say that they missed a couple for him. See, I thought there was two bad calls in that final at bat, though. Like but I think the last pitch could have been a ball. Absolutely, yeah. but I think he swung the pitch before or two pitches before. Like I think he went around. I think he got squeezed the two pitches before he rung them up uh, on pitches that I thought were strikes, 
and I think he thought were strikes. But I think that the other thing was that umpire was consistently inconsistent, especially with the low strikes all night. Yeah, I mean, it's umpiring in baseball. But I, I thought that that last dude swung two pitches prior to the called strike three that won the Astros the game. But the story in yesterday's game was the Kyle Tucker Grand Slam. What a plate appearance by Kyle Tucker. You could tell Bautista didn't trust his splitter after he threw about a 55-footer to the plate. He, he didn't trust it, didn't think he could get Tucker out with that splitter. So Tucker was on some fastballs. He was fouling fastball straight back. to 100. He was on everything. You know a hitter's on something when he's fouling it straight, straight back. back right. When he's fouling pitches straight back is when a hitter is on that guy's pitches. And Bautista didn't trust his splitter to go to his splitter again. So well, he was giving Tucker fastball, it, fastball, fastball, fastball. Was it the 2-2 that he just bounced at 50, 54, I can't remember the count, but yeah. It, after it, that, it wasn't even close. He didn't trust it after that. He couldn't really get it over for strikes. So he was challenging Tucker with 101, 103, 102. Fastball, fastball, fastball. And finally, Tucker took took advantage of it. That that ball that he hit did not go thirty feet in the air. Like that ball was such a seed. Did you see the behind the uh, yeah, catcher camera? Mm-hmm. That ball wasn't even in the air. Like the ball, the way that that ball traveled, I'm a little surprised it got out because well, it didn't get up. It didn't get elevated like normal home runs. If you listen to Callis's call too, for the first three quarters of that ball in the air, he's acting like it's going to be extra bases or there's a chance to get extra bases because he looking at it from directly in the press box behind home plate thought the same thing like that's hit well that's good barrel contact but I don't know if that's got enough to get out and it just kept carrying like a clothesline I think the way that Tucker left the box too I'm not sure he thought it was out right off the bat he seemed like he was sprinting pretty he took hard. some yeah. sprint steps and yeah. like like maybe like step four step five he's like okay well that ball's gone but he, the way that he left the box I, I, I'm I wonder if Tucker thought that that ball was going to be high, high enough to leave the yard. But an awesome uh, an awesome finish to that game yesterday and what was really not a great feeling type of game uh, until then. I'm, I'm glad that Tucker hit that grand slam because he misplayed a ball earlier in the game that cost the Astros a run, uh, kind of jumping into the air a third of the way up the warning track. But Tucker's at bat yesterday uh, was awesome. But also like the, the entire inning because John Singleton led off great that inning. Bat. And John Singleton, even with a bad call against him, he had five five balls to draw the walk. John Singleton sparked that inning mm-hmm. with a leadoff walk, pinch hitting for Martin Maldonado. It's not like the Cinderella story. John Singleton wasn't the one that hit the grand slam. But John Singleton drawing a leadoff walk is why he's on this team. A left-handed option off the bench. And look, he didn't get a hit. But he sparked it in and the Astros won. Exactly. He got on base. Yeah, he got on base big, when you're down big. It's the discussion you and I were having yesterday is that if he gives you a better option than what I've already seen and seen enough of on the bench. I've already seen enough to know a lot of these guys don't have a lot of patience. They don't have bat discipline. They don't have a good eye for the strike zone. I've seen a lot of that. To see what he did, and I know he comes in with the grandiose expectations of everything's going to be an extra base hit, and he's got this big power swing that he's going to – what he did without him – you're, it might be a totally different story. What a, what an outstanding at bat from a guy that just got called up. It was it was fantastic. I won't nitpick that it was a plate appearance and not an at bat, but uh, fa- <laughs> fantastic job. Uh, Joe George is shaking his head at me. That's that's a hill that I uh, I like to get people on that one, but uh, I digress. No, you could have just told me I made a typo with the tweet. Oh, that's what you're looking at. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fun though. You should I'll just leave it. it. No, no, leave it. Okay. Leave it. I mean, it's endearing. It's Thanks. it's it's why you're you. It's he, we have the show. If you're not on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at Jeremy Branham. He's a Pac-Man Joel, but you can also follow the station at ESPN 97.5. And, and Joe made a typo on the uh, 
the show promo tweet. Instead of saying CJ, or instead of typing CJ Stroud, he typed CJ Stroud. Oh. S T R U N D. And then I just replied, who is CJ Stroud? But I think we should leave it, right? Like, we own our mistakes. I mean, we yeah. own our mistakes. You can't live in a world where you just delete your mistakes. Just, just wear say, it. Just say Barry Warner typed out today's show tweet. Well, why would he be typing It'd out be the show tweet? Because Barry Warner is known for screwing up names and mis- misusing words and not caring. There would be a lot worse, though, if uh, we gave <laughs> Barry Warner access to our Twitter. Oh, there's no that doubt. Is not, that, that, like, I would have I mean, bigger just concerns off the top of his bald that. head, there would be quite a few things that he would be talking about himself on. Yeah, I have uh, bigger concerns than that. 8480, last night, one of the Baltimore radio announcers was talking about their pitcher being from Nacogdoches and said, but he doesn't want you to say he's from Houston. Uh, that's interesting. I, I hadn't heard that, but thanks for sending that in, 8480. He says maybe it's because the two cities are 141 miles apart. Look, the greater Houston area is massive, and we give a lot of towns in the greater Houston area the Houston treatment. Nacogdoches is nowhere near Houston. No, 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 but... As long as it's something like that, I'm okay with it. But if it's like the Yahoos that that want to get into the whole still dwelling on 17, going, I don't want to be associated with Houston anymore, tell tell everybody I'm from Nacogdoches, not Houston, if it's something like that. Like, um, what, what's what's the White Sox pitcher that's now bounced around the league that every everybody hates and disowned from the city of Houston after he went off on it? Oh, it's the guy that said there's uh, sketchy stuff. Ryan Tapera. Tapera. Yeah, if you want to be like to pout to para and- or Jimmy Buckets, Jimmy Buckets says he's from Tomball. He yelled at me. He did. Tomball is Greater yeah. Houston area though. Butler's wrong on that. Like it's fair to say that he's from Tomball, but Tomball is in the Greater Houston area. Yeah, he he got mad at me because you said he's from Houston. I said, hey Jimmy, what's it like being back in Houston playing for Team USA? It's like 2017. Yeah, before they went to the Olympics. You know, I'm not from Houston. I'm from Tomball. Okay. Yeah, that's a little. That's like me getting onto blankers for calling it an at bat, not a plate appearance. Like, what are we doing here? Like, Jimmy? technically right, but kind of bush league to bring it up. Yeah, it was bush league. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that. Um, yeah, Ryan Tapera, that kind of stuff. If it was, if it's that kind of d- d- driven by that kind of uh, motivation, screw you. But if it's just because you want to say that there's a large geographical difference in distance, then I get it. Uh, what'd you think of? Uh, look, Singleton, great, great, great yeah. job of the walk. I, I thought that they should have pinch ran for him, but I'll digress. I won't bring that I up thought, too much I right now. I thought as well they might, but why not? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, because I think you're you're down multiple runs to where that that lead run isn't going to make that big of a difference, which is probably why he didn't do it. Nitpicky. Yeah. Nitpicky for yeah. sure. Now, Singleton did make a mistake on the bases. You know, tagging up was kind of a weird, but again, you're not trying to run into an out. So, very nitpicky. It doesn't matter. Boy, the replay on that Jordan hit, and they were saying it had a funky spin on it, uh-huh. but I don't think that he saw it completely or something because he totally whiffed on it. I thought he hit his glove. I didn't see it. Hit. I don't know that I saw it hit the glove. I thought when the real slow mo on ESPN happened, because I saw it a couple times, but it was from a distance. It looked like he totally, like at the last minute, maybe lost lost sight of it. Tough play though. Like I mean, the play that he should have made, especially after he robbed Jordan from a, sure for a home run yeah. earlier in the game. So you think he's going to make that play? I bet you he thinks that he should have made that play every single time. Now it was a if, tough play. If you're an Oriole fan, you think you should have been uh, out of that inning twice. You think you think you made two mistakes that could have get, gotten you out of the inning. You think he should have caught that ball, and you think that the the, the third strike foul tip by Tucker, if it's caught, it's over. Yeah, and it bounced around in the catcher's glove. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, not like a play he should have made. No, but, but if you're an Oriole you're fan, that you're like, we should have had yeah. it there. We could have had yeah. that. That's more of a coulda than a shoulda. Yeah, you know, could have been that instead of shoulda. With the center fielder's play was a shoulda. I thought Tucker's play in right field was a was a worse play 
than the play in center field yesterday oh, for, for sure. Jordan's ball. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I agree. Misplay from Kyle Tucker, but he but he made up for it by hitting the uh, hitting the grand slam and winning the baseball game. Uh, let's get into the pitching side of this. We'll get your thoughts on yesterday's win too. Was it the biggest win for the Astros this year? I bet you that's a question you're getting a lot. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. The HRP listener line seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six on Twitch Twitch TV slash ESPN ninety seven five. He's at Pac Manjol on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham on Twitter. Lots to get to. Today, why the face Wednesday? We we'll see what the will of bits has in store for us. And CJ Stroud's getting slandered by Colin Coward. Are his, are his points valid? Are they fair? But coming up next, from Valdez yesterday. Are we concerned about the Astros ace? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Welcome back, Houston. These guys missed you over the last break. It's the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5 and 92.5. <laughs> A lot of people on the uh, the text line are saying that it was invaded by sea, which I still don't. Is it because it's a coast town? I don't know. We'll ask Blummer. Uh, 6502. Well, we used to be able to ask him all the time. We, we still got... have reach. Well, I mean, I, we might be able to I, ask him on the air. I but... can text him. There you go. I'll text him ask right him, now. Ask him what Screw the... Screw uh... you. Uh, what are we calling them? So you, uh, cardiac arrest? You can say, I mean, you say invaded by sea. What's what's the reference there? Uh, 6502, last night's game felt like uh, game one of that Seattle series. Not a good played game, but found a way to win. I think that's a fair comparison. That's pretty good, yeah. Uh, Ocho, say, Ocho says... Uh, you asked if we should be concerned about the Astros ace. Why would we be concerned about Jonathan Patrick France? Well played, Ocho. We are some Jonathan Patrick lovers. Yes, we are. In this in this uh in this time slot. So Fromber Valdez yesterday. Final line, not great for Fromber. Six runs, eight hits, walk two, truck out just three. Three gave up a couple of dongs over seven innings of work. ZRA slipped to three thirty, but he was taken off the hook because of the Kyle Tucker grand slam in the ninth. What'd you make of Fromber's outing yesterday? Where are you at with Fromber Valdez? Uh, I'm going to tell you this: it's like Monday mornings on the or Monday afternoons on the Killer Bees. It was the good, it was the bad, yeah, and it was the Fromber. I mean, the bottom line was we. I went into the, the last some of the last comments we made going into the game. Saying, well, look, you know, most guys when they come out of a no hitter, the next two or three starts are just terrible because they threw too many pitches and they really were in a lot of high lever- leverage, thinking about things. Well, instead, I was like, well, but maybe let me just curtail that by saying, you know, he was very efficient with his pitches. He faced the minimum. He he should be fine. And then boom, a five spot in the first two innings. After the first two innings, you're going, what the hell? The bottom line to me was he was he didn't have pinpoint control. Yeah. And the pitches he didn't have control of were sitting right dead center in the middle of the plate, screaming, "Hit me!" That's usually that's usually what gets Fromber into trouble. He did the patented thing that you hate yesterday in the first inning, the where he threw an O two cutter middle middle right down the, and then he took advantage of it. You have a good hitter; he's going to take advantage of it. I didn't think I think that's a great way to describe Fromber's outing because look, there was a lot of good in oh, Fromber's no outing yesterday. The fact that he was able to get you seven innings shows that he I was, was say, economical. He did you a solid oh, for after sure. that. Yep. Like, even if you lose that game, you're in a spot where your bullpen's nice, it's fresh, it's rested after a day off. You're kind of loaded up with a with a healthy bullpen, a loaded bullpen the next two days. I mean, it wasn't Fromber's best start, obviously, especially coming after a, a no-hitter. But I'm not 
like normally you would see six runs, seven innings. You'd be like, oh my goodness, this guy's lost it. He's got to figure it out. And I understand that Fromber's like last seven starts aren't very good. I thought there was a lot of good with Fromber Valdez yesterday. He didn't necessarily have the swing and miss. This is a really good lineup with Baltimore. They have the second best record in all of baseball, the best record in the American League. Fromber could have certainly pitched better, but I don't, I don't think he was poor. He made some mistakes. Gave up more hits than he normally does, but I, I don't think that Fromber was necessarily poor for the Astros. And the way that you won this game, too, it kind of sets you up pretty nicely for the next two games because Fromber goes seven innings. I mean, you use Stanek, who's not one of your high-leverage guys, no. for an inning. Now, you do use Presley for an inning, but look what the, what the Orioles had to do. The Orioles had to go with their three of their best relievers. The Astros forced Bautista to throw 30 pitches in I, that game, so you won the game. Their bullpen's more taxed than your bullpen because you were trailing the whole game. The Astros are in a pretty good spot here over the final two games of the series. You scored against their their setup guy. You saw him, and, and, and he threw pitches. But the main thing is, I don't know if you see their close for the rest of the series. Maybe tomorrow, but I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Maybe tomorrow, Maybe on the getaway case. game, but because it's a getaway game and it's, it's, it's like it's a, a quick turnaround— I don't know that you see him the rest of the series, and that's a huge bonus. I think there's a decent chance you don't. Like yep. even even if Baltimore has a lead on tomorrow, maybe, maybe, but certainly not seeing him today. Nope. And there's a decent chance you're not seeing him again on on Friday or on Thursday, rather. So you know it kind of worked out the way that you won that game because you throw Stanek for an inning, whatever. Fromber eats up the seven, and then you use Presley once you take the lead. And he wasn't even you know high highly used either. Uh, Presley threw 13 pitches, which is less than, you know, the, the average amount of pitches needed to get through an inning. So, Plus, like you said, w- w- things we were worried about, about soreness and what was going on, nothing to worry about now. I mean, the way he looked, the command of his pitches, the fastball where it needed to be when I said, did he lose velocity? He looked in total control last night, and that's all you needed to see of Ryan Presley to know he should be fine. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm over. I'm over the, the, the soreness. Yeah, I mean, any sort of like fear. And we were talking about this yesterday. We didn't have fear, but we want to see him back on the mound. And yesterday he was back on the mound after Dusty said that he was sore, not hurt, and he looked really good. So any sort of, if you had any sort of fear or doubt with Ryan Presley, uh, that was alleviated yesterday, which is great to see. Well, I think the only reason why you would have any kind of concern about hearing soreness is because of all you've been through as a fan or anybody that follows this team this season with injuries. I mean, discomfort is something that we semi-joke about because it's used so often with Astros PR, but discomfort alone leads to a lot of concern because it normally leads you to believe someone's going to be on the IL for an extent of time and something's going really drastically wrong with another player. So just soreness is like, wait, what? Yeah. You're, you're kind of, you got, a, you got a little PTSD right now. And I didn't see any of that yesterday. No. So that was, uh, that was nice to see for Ryan Presley and nice to see the way that uh, the Astros win that game. Uh, I thought it was a good old fashioned baseball argument yesterday too. With uh, Baltimore's manager, first base umpire, he came out wanting to, 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 he wanted the umpires, I think, to take a look at the review. Baltimore was out of a challenge. They lost one earlier, so they didn't have a challenge. The umpires can call for a challenge on their own. They can, even if the other team doesn't have a challenge, if an umpire feels like it's a close call or a call that they didn't get a great look at, they have the ability to go to replay on their own. So that was the whole discussion between Hyde and the first base umpires. I, I believe that Hyde went out to the first base umpire saying, that's that's so close, you need to take a look at that. Because he couldn't. He couldn't challenge it. Right. But the umpires can go to right. replay on their but own. But I think part of it, too, was because I burnt my challenge early, and I think he was pissed that he had to, but I, I think that that was part of the, part of the equation, too, was that he had already burnt his challenge. Now, 
you need to, you need to challenge this play. He, that's what he was trying to do. Yeah. He, he was trying to go to the umpire and tell that umpire that that was so close. You guys need to challenge yeah. that. Which, if I'm Dusty Baker and that were to happen, I'm getting thrown out of that game. If if I'm the opposing manager and the other umpires getting the umpires to the opposing managers getting the umpires to review it. I'm getting thrown out of that game if that's going to review. Because, look, you don't have a challenge. You can't right. just give him a look at replay whenever he asks for it. And I think the reason the first-base umpire threw him out was because Hyde, after he realized the first-base umpire wasn't going to give him a look, I think he was either going to the crew chief or the home plate umpire, and the first-base umpire was like, you don't need to talk to them, you talk to me, and he chunked him. I thought it was, I thought it was good umpiring. I also thought it was smart for Hyde. Like, look, if you can get that to go to replay, I think it's a win. So I, I thought it was a, a win-win for both sides of a good old-fashioned baseball argument. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. It wasn't it was like great. what happened uh, in Philly yesterday. Was that the Triple A umpire that blew three calls? I didn't in one see game? that. I didn't see it either. He was the first base ump in. Uh, I think it was in Philly, and they brought him up for a game. And there was three challenges against them. They all got overturned. Really? Ouch. Not a, a good tough, luck for your rating system. But well, like, you know what? Actually, on the flip side, based on what we've seen lately from Angel and and, and CB Buckner and who was the guy that got Aaron Boone's iron? Laz Diaz. And Laz Diaz. Those three alone, if, if, if blown calls get them promotions and keep them in the big leagues, promote that guy that missed the three calls. Yeah. That was uh, – see, that's like – I want my manager acting like Hyde did yesterday. Like, if you're going to get thrown out of a game, that's fine. I'm not saying that Dusty needs to get on, on umpires or whatever. This is actually a, a slide at Aaron Boone. Like, if you're, if you're upset, you're going to argue, act like Hyde did. Don't act like Aaron Boone when you're up there acting like a little you know, child that's throwing a temper tantrum. Like, hey, yell at the guy, you know, be in his face, yell, scream, do I all did, that stuff. See, but the and, temper tantrum with Aaron Boone, that's childish. Uh, okay, and I thought you liked drama. I like drama. I like seeing it. It's entertaining. I don't want my manager to act like that. It just depends, right? I think that from the standpoint of, it, it, you know, we see from an Astros perspective when we know that they're getting screwed on calls and how Twitter goes nuts and how everybody's going to the umpire websites and everything else, and then they're pointing the finger. The fact that Aaron Boone brought a little more comedy to it by imitating his call to, you knew he came out there to get tossed. Well, that's a guaranteed way to get tossed. And I think that, the fan base probably appreciated it. I don't mind him doing that because the bigger problem to me is he gets thrown out all the time. I mean, he, he obviously know he's feeling the pressure and he's feeling the heat and his team is under uh, uh, underperforming. But overall, he just gets thrown out too much. But if that was a once every now and then or if that was like Don Zimmer or Tommy Lasorda or some of these guys that used to do it the same way and do it purposefully – it's entertaining. I don't mind it at all. If you were the owner of the Yankees, if you were a Steinbrenner, and you've had a disappointing season after a disappointing season, and Aaron Boone has never been able to lift the Yankees beyond the expectations and the goals of the New York Yankees, they're in the middle of a bad year. They've been alternating with Boston, going back-to-back, -back, like who's in last place in the AL East, and your manager comes out and starts doing little childish moves like Laz Diaz, you wouldn't be embarrassed by that? No. I absolutely would yeah, be embarrassed would be by too. that. I might have you fired are? him afterwards. I would be too. That's, I think that's, you'd be embarrassed by that. I think absolutely. you gotta be. I think you can't be a loser like he is and do that. I'll you tell got, you right now. Like I, Dust, I, I think Dusty could get away with that. Like, sure. I think that you can't be Aaron Boone, who should have been fired, whose teams constantly overperform, and then go on the field and act like a child. Yeah, you can't. Like, I think the Angelos family would have 
maybe extended him for doing <laughs> maybe, that. Because he's, yeah. the- he's fighting for his team and doing what he thinks to say screw you to the guy that's yeah. screwing them. I have no problem with Boone fighting for his team. I have no problem Boone getting ejected. When you start acting like a child and you're making like little Laz Diaz gestures and that's the like the highlight of the New York Yankees week whenever you're battling for last place in the American League East and you've been failing to meet goals and expectations year in, year out, not a good look. I'm, I'm going to say the same way that Billy Martin used to kick dirt on the the, the plate. They're winning titles and, then, though. And, and sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't because he got fired for a reason. Sure, but Aaron Boone's Lou Pinella throwing under- his hat and then taking the base up and throwing that and doing some of the tirades we've seen managers do in the past, it's all part of the job sometimes. Mm. I don't have a problem with it. 713-780-ESPN, the HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Everybody saw this go viral yesterday. Colin Coward was critical of C.J. Stroud. Was it fair? Was it justified? Were his points accurate? 713-780-3776. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. Welcome back to the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5. Killer Bees are also known as Africanized Bees. And we all know there's nothing Africanized about these two guys. It's Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham. Spencer really triggers me with that. How many times do I have to say 3%? How many times do I have to say 3% before Spencer learns? I don't know. Uh, Blankers texted Blummer. So it was invaded by C, not invaded by Seed. Yeah, so I hit up Blummer, and I just asked him. I said, we were analyzing the greatness of you guys in the final call. Can you give us the quote and the origin behind it? Is it something king speak, like one if by land, two if by sea? And he says, yes. Then finish with the quote from Game of Thrones, winter is here. So there you go. It was- Some people did text in that it was a Game of Thrones reference. There you which have it. I wouldn't. I didn't. When the winners, winners here wasn't in the, the call. So we missed out on that. But I pro- I would have known winners here as a Game of Thrones reference. Everything else I wouldn't because I'm not very I'm not very up to par, I guess you could say, with Game of Thrones. Really? Only watch only watched the last season. It's not my thing. Yeah, I've, I've watched all of it multiple times. I don't like things that I don't believe could happen in real life. Yeah. I just wasn't. That's you, one. You guys know me. So we Why do you watch the Texans discussion. then? Do you believe they're ever going to win a football game? That's not the or same multiple thing. Football, or a Super Bowl? No. I, yes, I believe football is real life. I know. I do you believe watch wrestling? Yeah. Uh, but it's still an act I know. of athleticism. Joel and I had this debate on Monday where I was, I'm on your side, obviously. It's still an act of athleticism. I understand that the winner yeah, is reality scripted. TV. Right. It's reality television. And, like, I mean, you, you, it's the stories. But it's believable because it's actually happening. Yeah. Now, if you're watching it because you think it's, like, some sort of competition where the best man's going to win, then you're delusional and a fool <laughs> or, or a little child, right? Yeah. Or be the dummies who bet on it. Who bet on wrestling? Or you're the smart ones that bet on it. No, because the odds are never good enough to actually bet on it. That's true. And you, uh, they limit you, too. Yeah. Like, they cap well, out the scripted. bets. scripted. I mean, people know who's going to win. Yeah. Like, the wrestlers, why wouldn't they be betting? They probably are. Make an extra $1,000 for like your point. night. It's like wouldn't point. You be wrestling? No doubt. It's like the Iowa State kicker or whatever that was apparently betting on games. Yeah, and he missed. He's a quarterback. Well, what about the Iowa State, uh, Iowa State quarterback that's being investigated? Yeah, yeah a lot of people. Hit a, that's bad. I mean, Iowa if you're State a wrestler apparently. right now, aren't you hitting up the Alabama baseball coach and just trying to figure out if there's a better way? Um, I knew somebody that knew him. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, I did. I don't really have anything to add. Oh, I, I, I thought just, there was. I thought there was more about two, two it. degrees. Like, like his his bridges were not, and his contacts to make the bets weren't laid out the way they should have been. But you know, I would have been interested to hear what the plan was. Did you hear what uh, Colin Coward had to say about C.J. Shroud yesterday? I'm also curious if this is this is fair. Like, I, I think the context is important here. One of the things that I cannot stand, and we got into this a little bit yesterday. Is whenever like I saw a lot of Houston media doing this. Like I saw a lot of Houston media quote tweeting Colin Coward, which quote tweeting somebody's just trying to dunk on them. It's trying to like flex on them. It's trying to chase clout. I hate quote tweets. I think it's ridiculous and silly and stupid. I think it's immature and childish. But but I saw a lot of Houston media doing this for what Colin Cowherd said, and I I be, like it, it's weird to me that you're sticking up for for CJ Stroud with him. Has, he's yet to play in a single NFL game. He's not thrown one pass in an NFL game. He's not played one down in an NFL game, yet you're defending C.J. Stroud like he's Tom Brady. I find that to be weird. Like, we don't know what C.J. Stroud's going to be. We don't know that Coward's wrong. We just want him to be wrong, and it's weird to me when media starts to attack that as opposed to fans. I can totally understand why a fan would. Media doing it I find to be ridiculous. Secondly, the context is important here. Colin Cowherd's entire segment was about which of the three first-round quarterbacks he thinks is the most likely to not succeed. Like, he didn't even use the word fail. He's basically said which of these three first-round quarterbacks has the biggest chance to not be good, basically. So understand that context from Colin Cowherd whenever you're discussing this conversation. It's, it's an interesting question because of the fact you're right. I went back and listened to it a few times. And as much as, you know, I, I'm not a fan of his and, and, and I don't mind him catching some heat, I don't know that it was extremely justified because, you know, when, when looking at the scenario of which of these quarterbacks taken in the first round has the best chance to fail, I, I mean, you can, you, can, you can draw your own conclusions. He obviously, with the Sean Payton thing and the other things, thinks he's got intel. He called Cal a buffoon or whatever, something like that in terms of his ownership after criticizing the ownership previous to that, he says he talks to people and reads and hears and sees everything, which I doubt, but he drew his conclusion. I would look at Anthony Richardson. I would look at other guys. I would have more reasons to say. Well, there's I, only three. Right. There's Richardson, there's Young, and, and there's C.J. Stroud. And no. of the three, I would ta- say Anthony Richardson because I said all along before he got drafted, I think he's two years away from being a starting quarterback that's ready to go to see what he could actually be. The Colts think differently. They're going to throw him out there from day one. So without saying that I have my sources and I've read everything and done everything, if I'm picking one of those three guys that has the best chance to not succeed, I would lean Richardson before I would lean Stroud. I think it's I don't I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think it's tight. Like I could yeah. see I could see all three having success. I could see all three having some failures, quite honestly. And look, I think Colin Coward makes up some good points, honestly. Here was the first thing that Colin Coward says criticism on CJ Stroud. And C.J. Stroud is just not talented enough to overcome the Houston Texans nonsense. And what really is the most interesting one is probably C.J. Stroud. I mean, it's so random. It's one of the weirdest things in the history of the NFL draft. Ohio State football, top five program all time, maybe top two or three, has never had a legitimate star franchise quarterback for any long-term distance in the NFL. That is so weird to me. So there is his. I mean, of all the great programs in America, one, Ohio State, never had a star quarterback in the NFL. Joe Burrow was there, but transferred. And I have no real idea why. They've had great coaches, offensive coaches. They get pass protection, they have star receivers. My only guess is 
that being a quarterback at Ohio State doesn't necessarily prepare you for the NFL. What do you what do you make of Coward saying that about Ohio State is one of his reasons to to be critical of C.J. Stroud? I mean, and we we discussed it. I just think it's extremely unfair. And I guess it was Joe and I that were getting it. We got into it a little deeper. I just think each individual person is their own individual quarterback and case. I think it's unfair to just put that all on Ohio State or Alabama and their quarterbacks. I think you assess each guy for their talents and their shortcomings. And, and you know, I always kid you and, and I kidded Joe and said, well, I mean, Ohio State, I always kid and say Joe Burrow's the best quarterback to ever come out of Ohio State. And he didn't play there. Because, You're not wrong. You know, and he transferred out. But at the same time, I just think, yeah, the easy, the easy, you know, br- wide stroke brush is to just go, you know what? Their quarterbacks don't produce in the NFL. Their quarterbacks don't produce in the NFL. Well, they had shortcomings. And you know what? The rest of your roster made them look a lot better in college. It didn't work that way in the pros. But I, I don't think that that's fair to say that because of he went to Ohio State that he's going to suck with the Texans in the NFL. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with Colin Cowherd here. Now, I think it's unfair to say only Ohio State, but I think his argument is fair. You look across a bunch of high-profile, powerful you know, college football programs, and a lot of them don't produce great college quarterbacks. Now, are great NFL, NFL quarterbacks. quarterbacks right. Now, there's always exceptions to the rule. Like, there's always exceptions to the rule. But Ohio State's one school. Alabama's another school. USC's another school. Look at these college football powerhouses, and then look how their quarterbacks translate to the NFL. They usually struggle, and I think that Colin Coward's points, now I wouldn't have stopped at Ohio State, are fair. Usually you have the, this is something we talked about in the whole draft cycle, yeah, heading into the draft. You look at C.J. Strouds or whoever's a quarterback at Alabama, and I understand that Bryce Young's is part of this conversation, or any, like, Stetson Bennett at Georgia, any of these Blue Bloods. What advantage do those quarterbacks that those Blue Bloods have that other Power 5 schools don't? They're throwing to the very best receivers in the world. They have the best offensive line in the world. They have the best running backs behind them in the world. Those guys make the quarterback look better. I think Colin Cowherd's argument here is sound. I think it's a little lazy to stop at just Ohio State, but I think it's a fair criticism of Stroud, but you probably also have to use it for Bryce Young. That's why I used it and said, I just said Ohio State and Alabama. You're right. Georgia's in that conversation. SC's in that conversation. And it changes. Oklahoma can be in that conversation because we've seen Baker, you know, not, you know, crap the bed. We've seen that, you know, Kyler Murray for the fact that he got a big contract. Kyler Murray doesn't look great either, but you can go and that's what we've always said. Look, when you've got receivers that get that wide open and you have the time given you by a solid offensive line, the fact that you have to throw a football within five to ten yards of a receiver and you could get a completion, but now you go to the NFL and you've got five to ten inches in a very, very small window and you've got to put it where it needs to be put, it's a different story. And so, yes, that's why when we when we just got done the first part of this, I said, you can be clear because of the surrounding cast around you because you're at just an unbelievable you know, program. Each guy's in his own individual. Some guys can still polish their craft, and the roof is the ceiling, and you can get better, and you go to the next level, and you perform. But 
I think it's kind of lazy to just say, well, it's just because they went to that university. Yeah, I think the, the the Ohio State part of it's like, let's just talk about how all of the quarterbacks at these blue blood powerhouse college football programs have it easier have it easier than middle of the pack power five schools. In fact, I like quarterbacks that come from middle of the pack power five schools because they were challenged more in college because they it was more of a struggle uh, for them. So I don't necessarily disagree with Colin Coward's point there. I dis- I, I don't like how he just limited it to Ohio State, and then you could also throw in Bryce Young into the conversation because he was at Alabama. But look what C.J. Stroud had. Like, C.J. Stroud had first-round offensive linemen. He had Marvin Harrison Jr. He had the Emeke guy. Last year he had Olave. He had Garrett Wilson. And I'm blanking on another one. Like they, uh, Smith and Jigba. Like yep. he's had five first round receivers catching the football from him. He's had two or three first round offensive linemen. So like Cowherd's, I, I guess hesitation about C.J. Stroud at the next level because he had so much ta- talent in college. I think is fair. I think specifically saying that Ohio State quarterbacks never have a chance isn't fair. One other thing that Colin Cowherd talked about, we'll get to it on the other side. 713-780-ESPN. Uh, your thoughts on this? 713-780-3776. But more Cowherd's reasoning on why Stroud is his pick of the three first-round quarterbacks that will have the least amount of success. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. If you have success betting on sports, well, you should enter these contests coming up at Circa, uh, specifically football. The Circa Million and the Circa Survivor are back. $14 million guaranteed prizes, and there is no rank. Circa's not making a dime off of this. The biggest football contest in Vegas back for their fifth year only at Circa Sports. Head to Circa, enter in Vegas, and the beauty of it, you can play from anywhere that you want. The two contests, first one I'll tell you about. The Circa Million Football Contest, $6 million in total prizes. Also, quarterly payouts. You can get some dividends if you're performing well. 100% payback. Again, no Rake, you can't get that anywhere else. The top prize in this bad boys, $1 million guaranteed. Five teams against the spread weekly, and the winner takes home $1 million. If you're more of a survivor pool kind of guy, well, I got the contest for you. Circa Survivor, their biggest prize yet, $8 million. It's simple. You pick a winner, straight up, no spread, and win big. If you're the lone survivor, a guaranteed $8 million is yours. Bigger money than ever before. Play today for your share of $14 million in guaranteed prizes. Contests are open now. You don't want to miss out. Enter in Vegas, play from anywhere. Visit CircusSports.com for details. You're back where you belong, in the Veritex Community Bank Studios with the killer bees who won't sting you unless provoked. Here's Joel and Jeremy. It provoked a lot. Uh, Twitch, a couple comments on uh, C.J. Stroud. Todd, the show, he had elite receivers facing not elite quarterba- uh, cornerbacks. Junior Bronco says, love seeing highlights of these guys playing Mac and Sunbelt schools. Now, Stroud played really well against Georgia in the semifinals. Sure did. And then Junior Bronco says, simple Stroud. Come on, Junior Broncos. We're not doing that with C.J. Stroud. We're not going to – it's not going to be a running bit where you question C.J. Stroud's intelligence. It's not going to happen. 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Quadruple seven, the Ohio State hate is real. Joe Burrow is an Ohio State quarterback. You made mention of that, and then he says uh, Dwayne Haskins is dead. That's because Colin Coward had a graphic where he says that Dwayne Haskins cannot win a Super Bowl. You know, the other thing I I don't mention him by name by reading it, which he should have caught it himself. He He must not know that he's dead. He, he, he must just... Apparently, a big story. Apparently, I, I, the, I could see you not knowing. 
Like you can not know things. Apparently, the context of it is that Colin Coward went through every single quarterback that's been drafted since a certain year. That's true. He did the thirty. He did thirty quarterbacks that have been drafted in the first round. The last thirty quarterbacks. Yeah, like drafted Paxton in the first Lynch round. was on this list, but it's just it's just a dumb exercise went, yeah. that how there's no way to simply explain it to people that it's going to come off the wrong. But it way. was careless. Oh, absolutely. It was definitely careless. They My, should have caught Haskins and left him off the list. That's I have right. two issues with like the, the Ohio State narrative or just like picking on a school. Uh-huh. It's because it's everything. It's every school. Like If you really believe that, then you can't be like they should have waited for C.J. Stroud to draft Caleb Williams because the only real quarterback to have great success out of USC – in my lifetime, is Carson Palmer. Right. Matt Leinart's a bust. Sam Darnold's a bust. Same thing with Drake May. I'm not going to hold it against Drake May when he enters the NFL draft next year that Mitch Trubisky sucked. Right, but but North Carolina wouldn't have the perks of Ohio State and Alabama. That That is a middle-of-the-pack power true. five yeah, school. That's true. That's, that's fair, but there are also quarterbacks that, you know, like, I, I wouldn't put Carson Wentz and Trey Lance in this category necessarily because they don't have NFL receivers, but their talent at North Dakota State or whatever it was, was very much more elite than what they were playing. So it always kind of goes this way. What about Josh Allen? Josh Allen was the same way. When when he lost some of his receivers, he had a big drop from his his, his second to last year to his last year at Wyoming or whatever it was. The thing is, is that like these quarterbacks, they have to figure out how to adjust to that because there's a quarterback in the NFL. He's probably the second best quarterback in the NFL. His name is Joe Burrow. He had the number one and the number two wide receiver in the NFL today on his roster. Mm-hmm. He threw touchdown passes, had the greatest year ever to Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. He had Clyde Edwards-Alaire, first-round pick. He had more talent on that LSU team than any players ever had. They had more players drafted in the first round than like any Alabama team, any Georgia team. What did it matter? It didn't because he is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like If CJ fails, it's because of CJ. That's what I'm saying. That's what goes back to my original argument. Yeah. It's the individual, not a... a broad brush stroke to say the university right yes. well a lot of times though the those playmakers can boost who the quarterback is though sure like but but, no, they definitely but, do. It, but if the quarterback is good it's not going to matter that's the, ultimately you're right it's going to come down to the prowess of the quarterback and if the quarterback's for real joe burrow was for real um name me ohio state quarterback off the top of my head and i'm trying not to say Dwayne haskins cardell braxton miller cardell jones braxton braxton miller was a receiver in the nfl but cardell jones who did JT you say barrett. jt barrett like there there have been examples with the urban meyer jason day scheme that they looked great in college yeah. and then they were not great in the nfl now not a ton of these were first rounders haskins was a first rounder yeah cardell jones was not cardell jt jones barrett was like wasn't fourth, you can go back yeah. to troy smith Smith won yeah, the see, see, I, don't, I don't like including those guys, though, That's because trestle. it's a totally different scheme. Yeah. Like, to me, it's not a knock in Ohio but State. It's saying, a knock with the scheme. It's like the old Texas Tech air raid. You can't trust those quarterbacks in the NFL when they're putting up huge numbers. But I've seen guys that when they want to rope in and crap on just with the broad brush of a, of a university. Yeah, that's what go, I hate. That's lazy. To, yeah, go all the way across the board now, and find, well, there's maybe one or two, and they avoid those, and they just want to continue to – pick out all the failures. Now, I will say there are other sides of this too, or maybe not school, but there are coach-specific success stories that you can look at. You can say that if a player succeeds under Lincoln Riley in college, you probably should take them in the NFL. I know Kyler Murray has his flaws, but he is a still a good NFL quarterback that got paid for a reason. Jalen Hurts is obviously a very good quarterback. That's why I think there's a good reason to believe Caleb Williams will be awesome. Because you see what he's learned from Lincoln Riley, and it should translate. Yeah. Even Baker, a little bit. We're, mm. 
A little. We were about to go to Lamont. Lamont did text, though. Uh, you guys are wrong and right on Ohio State quarterbacks. Uh, I'd be interested to see what uh, Lamont had to say about that. Uh, here was Colin Cowherd. One of the other criticisms that I, I thought was interesting, and not exactly sure that, that, that Colin Cowherd's wrong. You can't know that he's wrong because it's not played out. But another reasoning on why Stratus is pick of the, first, uh, the three first-round quarterbacks that will have the least amount of success. Rookie defensive head coach. Rookie offensive coordinator. Weird owner, below average roster, like not a lot, he's not talented enough to overcome that. Like Jared Goff, when he had Jeff Fisher and that staff, was not talented enough to overcome the mess. Then he got an offensive coach, Andrew Whitworth at left tackle. Then it worked. But if you said today, I've got to pick one today after what I've heard in camp, what I've seen, the video highlights, all the stories. I've been following all of them. If I had to pick one that just won't work, I don't know if C.J. Stroud is good enough to overcome rookie coach, rookie coordinator, impulsive odd owner, and a roster right now that today rebuild. Thoughts? Is Cal impulsive, by the way? Um, I mean, he's fired a bunch of head coaches after a single year. I think he finally, when he, he's tried to change in a lot of ways. But I think he's aloof, or used to be aloof. Yeah, I would say, I mean, aloof way way more than impulsive. But, yeah. I mean, he has fired coaches after a single season. He fired Bill O'Brien after four games, after giving Bill O'Brien control of the organization. So I, it's hard for me to say that he's not impulsive. Well, it's also because Jack Easterby came to him and brought everything to him loaded up to fire Bill O'Brien. Sure. So, and I'm not going to, believe me, I'm just, I'm just nitpicking. No, it's Colin, a fair point. Instead of just, just starting there. That, that would be my, he, he listed four pillars of mm-hmm. like arguments of why CJ Stroud's not going to have success like the other two. Rookie defensive head coach, right. a rookie, rookie OC, below average roster, and weird owner. The weird owner thing to me, I weird feel like we can only, last on the list I feel and, like we can dismiss it. You, you should dismiss it because the one, the one thing that you have to start with is the fact that if you believe some of the stories that supposedly he's read everything, that the owner was the one that wanted him wanted the guys to go out and get the quarterback and, and go get a quarterback, and they did. So I, I take that whole our you know nitpicking of Cal out of it, and you know I don't miss many opportunities to nitpick no, at Cal. Absolutely not. So the rest of them, when you look at it, sure it's fair play. But the one thing that we're saying is the way we've talked about it and positioned it for you guys is rookie quarterbacks in the NFL starting do not do well. The track record says the the history does lays it out for you they're not going to succeed in year one okay but I think yes you can say defensive-minded head coach I get that but you're turning it over it's more about the coordinator to me and it's about Bobby Slowick taking a Shanahan styled offense which is complicated which which has a lot of wrinkles and 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 th- idiosyncrasies and things that a lot of quarterbacks aren't expecting they definitely didn't have in college so it's challenging but I still think that it's to the be- it can be to the benefit of the quarterback in the long run. Yeah, after a year's time, you might have he might have problems. You might see some issues. But I think every again, just like the Ohio State discussion, to me, my first takeaway was every individual is different. Every situation is different. So you're looking for a reason to justify the comments you made. Fine, but I think that it's fair to say that you know maybe Bryce Young has the best chance to succeed. Of the three rookie quarterback uh, rookie quarterbacks in the NFL, mm-hmm. that's year one for sure. But I'm not saying that all of that means that one of the. I think Richardson See, again has the biggest chance to fail. But right, 
This is where the context matters, though, is because he's not saying that C.J. Stroud's going to suck. He's saying C.J. Stroud's going to be three of the three Mm -hmm. first-round rookie quarterbacks. In fact, there's other pieces of audio where he says all three could have success, but Stroud would be last for these reasons. Look, a rookie defensive head coach was something that we were questioning when they hired D'Amico Ryans instead of like a Benny Johnson or even a Shane Steichen. When you look at Carolina and Indy, they have those. They have Frank Reich, an offensive-minded guy. Uh, They have Shane Steichen, who had great success in Philadelphia at OC. They do have a rookie offensive coordinator. The Texans do. Where in Carolina, you you have Frank Reich there as your head coach. You have Steichen, who's going to call plays as your head coach. And then in terms of the roster... I do think the Texans have the third worst. They have the no doubt. three of three. No doubt. Panthers roster, Colts roster, Texans roster. I think the Texans roster is third. So, like, everybody's criticizing Colin Coward over this stuff. I think his arguments were sound. I, I think the biggest thing, too, Jeremy, though, is depending on when you draw the conclusion to, to, to make the final decision on if he was right or wrong. I think after year one, there's a chance. And, I, and again, I, I am adamant in the fact that, yes, I think the Colts have a more talented roster. You got Taylor in flux. You don't know what's going to happen there. And I think the one thing that goes in CJ's fa- favor over Richardson is the accuracy. The fact that he still can put the ball where it needs to be thrown, whereas I don't think Richardson can yet, and I don't know if he can develop that. Yeah. So when I look at it... But I don't gonna, know if that's going to be vital in their scheme. But are you going to draw the conclusion after one year? Are you going to do it after their career? Well, he's, talking you do career. It? he's talking career. Yeah. By the time all is said and done, I firmly believe that that I would put CJ second at, at the, at the very worst. And I would put Richardson below that. Yeah. But everybody's entitled to their opinion. So obviously his opinion came out. It drew all this fodder and all this reaction from all these different fan bases and across the country. He did his job. We're doing ours. At the end of the day, you can draw your own conclusion. Yeah. I think all three are going to be very, very close, but if CJ Stroud's three of three, it would not shock me. It wouldn't shock me. He's one of three either. Seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. But media going after Coward for having a sound opinions weird to me. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Dana Brown on the flagship earlier today says Kyle Tucker will be an Astro forever. Is Dana Brown writing checks that is can't cash? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five.